If you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. They've got precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, the perfect package for your perfect package. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. Hello and welcome to May's first edition of the Boarding Pass with myself, Murata Tesh, and Ken Weave, as always. We're both very excited today to have a special guest from the Winnipeg Jets in the middle of what should become a career season of 26 points in 63 games so far, as well at the Athletics Fan Survey, your pick for second-line center uh, as this thing gets going again. We have Andrew Kopp joining us today. Andrew, how are you? Good, how are you guys? Doing well, and Ken, uh, good to good to hear your voice as I do once a week. How are you hanging in there today? Uh, doing excellent, thanks for asking. Uh, quiet weekend, but uh, did a little binge watching of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so had a few laughs overall, and uh, looks like a nice day for those who are uh, taking advantage of the golf ban being lifted. I won't be out there to join them for a while, but uh, we know that our, our guest uh, has been able to sneak out for a few rounds out in Florida here while he's been spending some time with his uh, family. Andrew, uh, what's the family time been like uh, during this strange time during the pandemic? Yeah, it's been it's been wild, I think. Um, you know, we've just kind of tried to look at it as, you know, the, the four of us are never going to be able to spend you know, six weeks, two months straight together, um, you know, in the same house, you know, I, I live in my own place back home. Uh, my brother's going to be a senior in college. So, um, you know, he's well on his way out of the house and has been out of the house. So, um, you know, we just feel like we've been really fortunate in, in you know, uh, in, a, in a very unfortunate crisis and time that we've just, you know, just tried to, you know, rely on the positivity that we have, uh, just as, as spending as much time as we have together. So it's, um, you know, there's been some times where there's been some tension, tension in the room and people are ready to kill each other a little bit, but overall, I think it's been, you know, really fun and something that, you know, like I said, in such an unfortunate time, um, you know, we've tried to make the best out of it. Just before you came on here, we were talking a little bit about golf and, you know, Ken being an avid golfer and you said you've been able to get on the course a, a couple of times uh, who is the the most competitive cop when it comes to uh, the golf game? I think we show our competitiveness in different ways. Um, <laughs> I, I, my dad's competitive, but I think it really comes down to me and my brother. I think as soon as I start going sideways, I'm like the I'm the one who like loses it probably the most. Um, just in terms of it's, it's, you know, it is a game, but I don't have to really refocus and be dialed in for the, for the next shot. Um, you know, once, once I've already hit my eight stroke limit, then my, <laughs> then, then my round, my round's already done, you know, I'm already mentally off, but, uh, my brother being a college golfer, he's got to be the one that, you know, has to refocus and kind of redial himself in. So, um, he has his little moments of, you know, letting, letting loose, but he finds a way to, to bounce back and, you know, hit that next shot and have a, a good next hole. So, um, I'm kind of the one that just goes completely off the rails cause I don't need to refocus. I can just kind of let it go, but it's, it's kind of the opposite in hockey. Like he was a goalie and I think he would be the one that would go off the rails, but hockey wise, I'm the one that's able to refocus and kind of resettle myself. Always good to have those competitive juices flowing. Uh, I mean, we know you have a background in football, but, uh, what kind of golfer are you? Uh, an up and down one. That's for sure. I think there's been times where I've, you know, been in mid to high seventies and playing well. And, um, 
you know, feeling it. And then there's been other times where I can't hit driver whatsoever. And then it turns into just, um, you know, grinding to break 90. So, uh, kind of depends as, as you go throughout the summer and I get, you know, my brother helps me with my swing a bunch. I got some buddies that played college golf, um, you know, elsewhere in Michigan. So as soon as I get around them and, you know, you're around people that are good, it kind of raises your level a little bit and you start to get better and better throughout the summer. But I'm, I'm not a guy that likes to play throughout the year too much. Like when we're on the road, I'm not the guy that's going to go and play too often. So, um, you know, when you take eight, nine months off of something, it's, it takes a while to get it back. This is a, a roundabout question that sort of could address golf or maybe some of the other hobbies you've been picking up or working on right now. So, I, Andrew, please bear with me and trust me that this is going to get somewhere in the end. <laughs> Um, (laughs) um, but I think one of the things that I've started to take for granted or realize that I took for granted when the NHL was put on pause is just like what percentage of my time I spend around a a group of guys or in, in your locker room that are amongst the very best in the world at what you do. And I, I imagine throughout the year, most of what you spent your time on is something that you're extremely good at. I'm wondering if the break has given you a chance to just suck at stuff and what, what that <laughs> is like for you. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a good point. I don't, I, I don't believe in just accepting that you suck at stuff. Um, so, you know, when we go play tennis, you know, I played tennis growing up and I don't have it like I used to. And so I get I'm frustrated with my lack of being able to do things that I used to be able to do. So, um, you kind of just like push and push and push until the point where you finally start to feel it a little bit. Um, you know, there's there's other areas that I've tried to, you know, maybe not, um, you know, dive too deep in where I feel like I'm an expert, but just try and keep learning about, you know, some other things, whether it's, you know, the markets right now or, um, you know, other things of that nature where it's like I need to learn a little bit and um, just feel like uh you know, you kind of know that you're not going to be an expert off the get go, but the more experience you get, um, you know, you start to feel like you start to know what you're talking about and, and can kind of go from there. So, um, yeah, I feel like it kind of in a different, same thing, but in like a different mindset and just in terms of trying to broaden my, you know, knowledge horizon, I guess, and broaden my, you know, abilities in other areas outside of just hockey which I've always tried to do, but now is a great time to, to really, you know, try, try some new things and, you know, try and pick up some things. Obviously, you know, you might suck in the beginning, but accepting suckiness is not something that's in my, in my DNA. So you just try and try and power through that. Great perspective uh, as usual. Uh, maybe uh, let's go into a little bit on the football. I mean, we promise we'll get to the hockey eventually, but uh, I mean, your background is very interesting. I mean, there's not a lot of high-level football players who become hockey players. But, I mean, what what impact do you think that that, uh, that sport had on where you got to eventually and, and how tough a decision it was to choose uh, between the two considering uh, how good you were as a high school quarterback growing up in Michigan? Yeah, I don't think I'd be where I am without um, without football for sure. I, I mean, I think in, as a general theme, I don't think I'd be where I am without playing other sports growing up and, um, you know, diversifying your athleticism and, you know, being around different people that, you know, my baseball team was definitely not one of the best in the country. And, and so, you know, I'm around some of the best players in the country on, you know, my youth hockey teams and um, at USA, but, you know, my baseball, my football, those kids, you know, we were not, you know, me included, we were not the best team in the country by any means. And a lot of them, you know, just were playing for the, for fun and, um, kids coming from different backgrounds and all that. So I feel like I learned a lot as a leader there in terms of being able to, you know, reach people from different backgrounds and, um, you know, their stories are a lot different than mine. So that was a big part in terms of my development as a, as a leader and as a person, but football itself. Um, yeah, I think, you know, as a quarterback, you're, you have to be very dialed in. You have to be, you know, the game's on your shoulders and you truly feel that way. If we're going to win, it's because of me. And if we're going to lose, it's because I wasn't good enough. So, um, you know, that consistency and that level of mental dedication was something that uh, you learned a lot from and, you know, try and apply that to as consistent as I can be on the ice, um, you know, and in practice on a day-to-day basis. So 
that's part of it. Um, you know, just competing at a high level is part of it. Um, you know, there's, you know, picking up reads and, you know, making things happen on a, you know, on a, you know, snap, snap basis. Um, it's probably part of it, but I think it's just an overall general theme of just mentally just driving it, striving to be the best player you can be and trying to be a leader and bring everyone with you. I remember in the kind of in that video chat with the group of Winnipeg media, you mentioned that um, getting to the point where you're wearing a letter at Michigan for hockey was one of the proudest moments of, uh, of your life and um, that you've been proud to take on a, a leadership role with the Jets as well. Um, on that kind of topic, I was, I was actually going through an interview that you and me did. It was last season, not this one, um, just about what was going well, what was not going so well. And I, I remember thinking at the time that when you were critical or suggesting ways that the, that the Jets and you guys could improve at what you were doing, there was sort of an honesty and a directness that, that sort of cut the crap and just named the thing out loud. And the word that came to mind is you were talking about the will level at, at a certain point of that season. And it just seemed to me like he doesn't have to say it that way. It's direct and it's blunt, but not in a harsh way, in a way that you can actually address and work with. And I'm wondering, being in leadership's positions, part of me in multiple sports, if that's related at all, if your ability to honestly assess and then process what's in front of you. Yeah, I think a lot of that is something I learned from my dad. Um, you know, he was our, he was both mine and my brother's coach growing up for, you know, a lot of those teams that were so successful. And, um, you know, there's always stories told with guys that I played with or, you know, with my younger brothers, teammates and families of, you know, him having some moments where you look back and it's like, you know, on paper, you know, kind of a psycho hockey coach moments, but you look back with it and, you know, there was always a purpose to it. And it wasn't just, you know, punishment for punishment's sake, you know, there was always reasons behind it. And, um, you know, he was never afraid of what anybody thought of him and, you know, just wanted to speak, you know, directly and as honestly as possible. But with that said, trying to help bring guys along and, you know, make it for the betterment of the team and, um, you know, trying to do it in a way that's very constructive. So, I feel like, you know, all those traits that I feel like I have now, um, you know, come from him and, you know, it's, it's a trial and error basis for sure. And I feel, you know, like there's been times where I've been too honest and too blunt and, um, you know, maybe didn't say it in as constructive a way as I possibly could have. And I think I've learned a lot of those lessons over the years, but, um, and you're never going to stop learning, but I feel like I'm in a place now where I really know, you know, how to put things, um, you know, in perspective and constructively and, and say it. So guys don't take it to heart, but at the same time, it's honest, direct, it's, um, you know, flat out what needs to happen or what has happened and try and move on, move forward, honestly, with yourself and with your teammates. So, yeah, I think that's just, you know, trial and error, something I've learned over the, over time. And the, the best way I've learned it is, is by watching my dad do it, you know, day in, day out, um, you know, in, in his life as a coach and his professional life where, you know, some point you just got to say it how it is and there's no point in beating around the bush uh if you want to get better at it so can't be too careful with everyone's with everyone's feelings but at the same time you want to put it in a constructive way where they want to feel like they can get better to by doing it sure and i mean you talked about how your versatility has impacted where you are today i mean how about the path itself i mean a lot of people just see andrew Kopp played at michigan drafted and is where he is today but I mean, you had some very difficult decisions to make with the, you know, national junior program. And then when you ultimately decided to go to Michigan, I, I don't think that many people realize that you were a walk-on and, and you, you had to earn everything that you got. And, you know, two years later, you're the captain. I mean, what, what do you think the impact of, of those having to make tough decisions uh, as a young as a young man uh, led on that path? Yeah, I think, um, you know, handling adversity is probably one of my biggest strengths and something that I've obviously developed through going through a lot of that is, you know, I mean, on paper, you look at it, I played on one of the best teams, you know, growing up in the country. I played at the U S program. I played in Michigan. I left early from Michigan, you know, to go play directly in the NHL. And I've basically been in the NHL ever since, you know, on paper that looks like about as direct a road and as, you know, there's no easy road, but as easy as you can think of with, you know, not a whole lot going on, but, man, there was a lot going on behind the scenes and, um, you know, having to turn down USA because my football had already started my junior year of high school. 
Um, cause they kind of came to me late and I wasn't, you know, a part of the original 40 camp and, you know, being a walk on to Michigan and then being assistant captain my sophomore year and captain my junior year. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot that went into how I got here today. And I think, um, you know, all the adversity that I've faced, um, you know, has geared me for, you know, the NHL and how my career has gone in the NHL. It's kind of been the same way, right. You know, averaging six, seven minutes my first year to being sent down after my first year. And then, you know, just trying to slowly build my way up. So, um, feel like, you know, I still got levels to go and still have, you know, places of adversity where that I'll overcome and continue to, to move forward. But it, uh, it definitely has not been, um, a straight path right to, to where I am today. At the beginning of the season, Andrew, I wrote a piece that sort of said the, here are three possible options for the next step of Cop's career. Cause I, I hold you in high esteem defensively and there's a whole section about that, but, um, you'd played with, uh, on the line, line with Lowry and, and Tanev for so for so long. That was obviously not going to happen again. Where was Winnipeg going to try to create that one more time? Uh, gave an option where you're just the the safest, most boring thing. I think is what I called it was a fourth line center. And then the um, most ambitious, exciting thing I think I called it would be something to the effect of a second line center, um, which would be probably I'm not sure if you agree, but the next step in in your career alongside um you know some really skilled finishers and i think back to i think that comeback win against new jersey to almost at the very beginning of the year where uh, you and, and patrick liney were a huge force in that third period of that comeback it really seemed like that was the next direction in your evolution and i'm wondering where you feel because you are a guy that talks always about taking the next step taking the next step where are you at in that journey yeah, I'm, I'm on the journey for sure. Um, you know, I've worked in my game a lot over the past um, three, four summers and, you know, it's distinct, you know, offensively, um, I feel like is where I need to, um, is where I have the most opportunity to grow. I, I think my defensive game is, is, you know, well, well thought out. It's well documented. Um, you know, I have a lot of faith from the coaches and, and how well I played the game defensively. So, um, you know, I don't want to sacrifice any of that for, for trying to create offense or, you know, try and move up the depth chart. But, um, yeah, I'm on, I'm on the journey. Uh, you know, there's been bits and pieces of, you know, really, really positive. And then there's been times where, you know, we've gotten a little stagnant. So, um, and it's, it's not going to happen overnight. I think, you know, my, my, you look back at my freshman year at Michigan, first half of the season, I had, I think one point and, 15 16 games and just trying to kind of find my way through and then something happened at christmas and then i had you know 19 in our last 20 or something like that so um i think it you know it takes a little time to get used to you know certain players and takes gets used to being in a, in a certain role where you're expected to score not just you know it's not just you know added bonus when you do it's you know you're expected to so uh, I think changing those expectations in my mind is, is part is part of it and getting used to that and trying to place that pressure on myself. So, you know, when I do or when I hopefully, you know, cement myself as, you know, a top six player on our team, then, you know, it's the expectations always been there for myself. So I think that's that's part of a change. Um, I mean, and the next step can be really on center or wing. I think. Um, you know, I know Mark and I feel like we have some, some real chemistry on the ice and we think about the game in the same way. And, um, we feel like we complement each other, you know, very nicely. And and he's a guy that, you know, respects the way I play the game and respects what I do. And, um, we feel like we could have some real chemistry. So, you know, whether it's me on the wing with him or me at second line center, like you said, um, centering some elite finishers, I feel like there's, you know, that, it's, it's right there. And I, I just, you know, need to continue to work on my, um, you know, my execution and, uh, I feel like that's the biggest thing that's, I don't want to say holding me back, but the biggest thing that I can improve on for me to really submit myself as a top six player on our team. We talk so much about hockey IQ, Andrew, and we know that doesn't just apply to the defensive zone. Uh, I mean, it allows you to think the way that offensive players think, and it allows you to get chances. I mean, how does one become a better finisher? 
Yeah, I, if I had that, if I had that book, I'd be reading it every single day. Um, I think, um, you know, you, you talk with the more skilled players on our team. Um, I mean, I, Mark, Mark and I have a great relationship, and I think he's helped me in a lot of ways, and I feel like I've helped him in some ways as well. Um, but we, I mean, we talk about that all the time. You know, I have skills. I mean, I think it's, I think it's known that I work with Adam Oates, and um, it's something that we've, you know, continued to work on and you know harp on and. Um, and I, I think a part of it is just the mentality of just, you know, attacking and score goals like that mentality that like Ovechkin has about scoring goals. Like he will not be denied and he bears down on his chances. And, um, you know, that's his passion is scoring goals. And, um, you know, I got to kind of develop that killer instinct a little bit and those expectations. So, um, you know, mentally working on that more than anything else. And then the execution of just when I do get those chances, the, to have the the repertoire, the skill, um, which is in there. It's just a matter of it coming out every single time, you know, just like hitting driver, you know, you want to hit driver 300, 300 yards down the middle every time. Um, but, you know, you're going to shank a couple at some point. So it's just trying to find that consistency to, you know, to make the play when it needs to happen and, um, you know, find that killer instinct. Take a pause to just let everybody who's listening know. Uh, obviously we're very happy to have Andrew Kopp here on the boarding pass and, um, I want to let everybody know that this week that Pierre Lebrun and Scott Burnside have Washington Capitals GM Brian McClellan on the Two Man Advantage podcast at The Athletic. So make sure that you check that one out. Always interesting to get a GM's perspective on things. Um, and you, to take a GM's perspective on things, one of the biggest conversation topics in the NHL right now is the possibility of a June draft. And you know, all the strange different ways that that could happen, whether a, a team could theoretically win the lottery and the cup in the same year if everything went back to uh, to business <laughs> as usual. Uh, where do you stand on that? How does that affect your life, if at all? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of ins and outs between um, GMs and between owners that uh, they have a certain way of thinking about things. Um, I, I, th- I think it'd be weird based on, you know, how many big trades it feels like happens at the draft, you know, with Trubes last year, I know Shen got moved at the draft um, from Philly to St. Louis um, probably a handful of years ago. Now I just feel like there's some big trades that happen around that time um, or leading up to it that I do not think would be allowed to, to take place um, this year, which would be interesting to see how that would impact, um, you know, other draft moves being made, but, I, I don't think it really impacts, um, you know, me at this moment or, you know, any other current really NHLers just based on, I, I don't think we're like, we're too involved in that right now. And like the guys that are being drafted are not NHL players at this moment. So um, I feel like that one's just one for the GMs and the owners to kind of hammer on what they want their timeline to look like, but it would be nice not to have, you know, whenever this happens, Whenever this gets done, you know, the free agent period is going to be small. The salary arbitration window is going to be very, very small. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a whole lot of things that have to happen in a short amount of time that maybe eliminating one of them makes sense. You were able to nail both of your uh, NFL projections for the quarterbacks. Uh, as somebody who watched the draft, <laughs> I mean, uh, stick tops for that, obviously. But uh, <laughs> What kind of advice, I mean, as someone who attended and you talked about your experience of having to wait a long time uh, or longer than you would have liked, of course, uh, what kind of advice would you give to uh, to a prospect who may have to watch the draft virtually and, and may not get that walking onto the stage experience of putting on the jersey? Yeah, it'd be, it's got to be wild. Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, at the end of the day, you really just want to enjoy that time with your friends and family and you know, walking across the stage if you're a first rounder is nice and getting that picture and for Instagram and all that. But at the end of the day, it's really about the people that got you um, to that point in general. And, you know, maybe if this, you know, relaxes a little bit by the time that comes around, but it's still virtual, you know, you have a few more friends over to the house and, you know, maybe have mom or dad cook up a, a nice dinner or, or a meal for everybody. And, you know, that might not be the worst, worst way to spend that time. So, um, I mean, I would just try and enjoy it in any way possible, just like, um, you know, this this pandemic going on right now. Obviously, there's a lot of people that are that are hurting from it and that are, you know, in unfortunate situations. But, you know, all you can control is your own situation and just try and make the best out of a, a bad situation. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, uh, it, it kind of in a way follows up 
um, the leadership conversation because in that video call not too long ago, you were, you were giving the example of sort of being there to answer questions for young guys like Mason Appleton's or, or, or Jansen Harkins on, on their way up. And then I got to thinking about just that line where the two of them were together with Jack Roslovic for a few games. And you, you mentioned that for a few games, those guys were kind of on fire there. Um, and I was thinking, uh, you're one of the guys that in talking to you for stories, you, you've really been able to put the different systemic pieces of hockey and show and explain how they connect together. And I, I, I was so blown away by the aggression of their forecheck um, for those few games that they were together and and how it seemed like it, it was almost as if the wing lock was even more effective because they were so aggressive up ice. And it, was that, do you see that the same way? How And, and how does the forecheck and then protecting your blue line kind of relate to each other? Well, I thought, you know, with, with those three in particular that, you know, probably, their speed is probably their best asset individually and definitely collectively. Um, and I, they were playing third, third line at the time. And I'm, they were guided to play a very North South game and not, uh, not a whole lot of East West. And, and they were going up against some big lines and especially on the road, they were going to get some big, big time matchups. So, we started calling them the the Arctic line because they were just they were, they were just going straight <laughs> north south, and uh, I mean it worked out for them. They were playing. I think I think it only lasted three, four, or five games, maybe depending on. In I think and then injuries happened and everything kind of changed after that. But um, yeah, the Arctic line was hot for a bit. So uh, yeah, and their, I mean their speed was the biggest thing, and I think they wanted to be aggressive on the forecheck, and they knew that that they were that was how they were going to create a lot of their opportunities, and did a great job. And um, so so re- relate that to the second question again. How does the forecheck pressure relate to having like our D gapping up? Is that what you asked? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's I mean that's the biggest thing is you know everyone getting to their spots before. So like you know if the if the forwards are forechecking 100 miles an hour, but the D are kind of lazy getting up ice and don't get to the blue line, then, you know, there's an opportunity for not a trap, but a situation where a guy can be squeezed where he doesn't have a lot of time and space. But if the D aren't, you know, all the way up, then, you know, then they can kind of get a, a bump pass from a winger where, you know, our forwards aren't supposed to be on top of that, but the D should be gapping up. And if, you know, if our D had been, you know, in a line change or whatever, it had gotten knocked down, but they were slow to get up the ice, then, you know, suddenly we're getting hit by a ton of speed again. But, you know, if it, especially when it's when our forwards are going so fast and it's easier to read where our forwards are going, then it's just a simple read for our D men too. So I don't, I, part of it is the speed, but part of it is, just, you know, the directness and the intent and how easy it is to read guys when, um, you know, when everyone's on the same page. Instead of, you know, one guy goes off the rails, well, you don't really know where he's at. And that's the worst thing as a hockey player is not knowing where someone is. Because then whether they're in your blind spot or whether they're not, you know, whether it's a teammate in a situation where they need to be in a spot, but they're not there. So then you kind of start to hesitate. And that's the worst thing you can do on the ice is hesitate. Or if it's someone on the other team, you want to know where everyone is at all, at all given time. So, um, the I mean, when someone doesn't, run the correct route or when someone is in a spot where they're not supposed to be or they're, you know, you're, you're looking for them in a pass where, you know, this is kind of a sequence of A to B to C and C is not where they're supposed to be. Then, you know, you hesitate, you don't trust it. And then, you know, that can set off a million different things. So that trust is, you know, something that we got a lot better at throughout the year and something that we've had to develop over time for sure. Andrew, uh, chemistry is something that is a much talked about uh, subject, but it's sometimes difficult to quantify. I know you have such great chemistry with Adam Lowry, but how does someone go about trying to find chemistry when you're moving up and down the lineup and specifically in your quest to become that second line center? Because so much of the debate has been how does someone find chemistry with Patrick Laine and Nikolai Ehlers for a, for a direct example? Yeah, I think, um, you know, to for those two specifically spectacular players. And it feels like, you know, and some days you're going to have chemistry and some days you're not, you know, there's some teams where, you know, you kind of connect with, you know, a line mate where you kind of see the same things. And there's other teams where it just kind of doesn't happen or, 
you know, maybe it's not a specific team, but just, you know, a game by game basis, you know, sometimes it goes and sometimes it doesn't. And, um, you know, when I was with Kyle and Patrick, I felt like we had two really good games. Um, one at, one at home, I forget against two, but then we played in Philly and we played really, really well. We just, I, I don't know. I don't think we scored and we ended up losing the game three, one or whatever. And, um, it just didn't go for us. And then, you know, when it, that doesn't go, then kind of you start to get a little frustrated. And then the next night in Buffalo, we didn't play that well. Um, ended up winning the game, but our line wasn't as good. And then in Washington, that's when lines change. So, um, you know, when you're, when you're looking for chemistry and I feel like, you know, you want to, you want to complement each other. So you want to do something that they're maybe not as good at, and you want to have them do something that maybe, you're not as good at kind of complementing your strengths sort of thing. So, and, and it takes time and, you know, you, you get two, three guy, two, three games or four games or whatever it is with, you know, a few guys and you don't get, you know, that, you know, eight, 10 game block where you can kind of really, you know, find some foundation of chemistry and kind of take off from there. It can be hard. And I mean, but there's, there's times where you have that immediate chemistry. So um, for, for me, I just, try and play, um, you know, try and stick to like what I do best, especially when I'm changing lines and, you know, you just kind of looking for familiarity. So when I do play with Mark, you know, okay. Like, you know, there's certain things that he does that I know he's going to do in certain spots where I know if I go to, I'm going to get the puck from him. And, you know, same thing with Adam and, and Jack. So as you play with guys more and more, you know what to expect, but um, you know, when it's two new guys on a line that you're with, um, you, you want to have just a little bit more leash, I guess, in terms of, you know, finding more chemistry over more time just to kind of build that foundation of chemistry, like I said. Kind of combining that with the your previous answer where you're just talking about knowing where people are. Um, I, I got to ask you, because you've named them a couple of times, and I asked Todd Woodcroft about this last week as well, or two weeks ago now. Um, it's my Mark Shifley theory, and I want to know if it passes the Andrew Kopp uh, bullshit test or not. Okay. Um, my Mark Shifley theory is that he processes time in a different way than the rest of us do. Because there are so many moments where it seems like he can hesitate, not like a half second or a half beat, but like a quarter beat. And it seems like things open up for him on, on certain he messes people up with the rhythm is the best way I can seem to explain it from watching from above. I don't know if that's true at ice level or if there's anything to that or not, but I think that the guy must process time differently than the rest of the world does. Fact or fiction? I think fact, but I think you're thinking about it in just a, a little different than I would. I would say that he processes how much time he has differently. So I would say he, he, you know, how I talked about, you know, knowing where everyone on the ice is, he is probably him and wheels are probably the two best on our team at knowing where everyone on the ice is, our guys and their guys. And if, you know, if Shai's behind the net and he has a, you know, a defenseman on him, he knows what hand he is. He knows, you know, how mobile he is. He knows where, you know, he can get to a spot where, you know, he, he can hold on to that puck for that extra half second to feed Casey in the slot or feel, feed wheels in the slot. And I feel like that's where he is best is below the, below the goal line. And, um, you know, knowing where everyone is and, and knowing, you know, when you have a guy on you, you know, as most players, you know, you're, you're worried about that guy on you, but Mark is so good at knowing where that guy is on you that, he doesn't need to worry about it. He's just looking for his teammate. So I'd say that's probably, I mean, you're thinking about it in the right way, but I would just change it just a little bit to say that like it's, it's time that he has and it's, it's awareness of where the defenseman is and where his teammates are. And staying with uh, that relationship, Andrew, I mean, one of the most interesting conversations I found having with you both and working on that piece about uh, your background is the ability to have candid conversations with one another. I mean, what is, I mean, yes, I understand everyone's a teammate and they can give constructive criticism, but what's it like to have that back and forth where I think as Mark described it, it's not always pointing out the rosy things and pointing out the things that, that need work to to be at that elite level, especially with both of you guys who are always trying to push to get better. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's been one of the best parts about you know being being in Winnipeg. Um, it's just been the, our relationship, and I think that um, you know we push each other to be you know as best as best individual players we can, and as good of players inside our team as we can as well. So um, yeah, we've had a lot of candid conversations about you know each other's games. We've had um, you know conversations about our team, about the league in general, about certain players. Um, you know, and those are probably more important to have during frustrating times, you know, let's say, you know, about a year and a few months ago at this time when, you know, we were in the back half of last year and we were kind of struggling a little bit. A lot of those conversations were really important to have for us just to, um, you know, kind of let loose a little bit and, and not just hold in, you know, everything that we're seeing. And we obviously both feel like we see the game very well and have a high, IQ and can help the team, you know, move forward and out of the slump that uh, that we were kind of in. So, I, I mean, I think it's great to have that sounding board, you know, not only for success individually and as a team, but just mentally and, you know, having someone that you trust um, as much as we trust each other, uh, you know, in, in any part of life, just having that, that friendship that's, you know, it means a lot. So, yeah, I think it's it's been important for me, especially at times where I feel like, you know, I've been frustrated. I know he's been frustrated sometimes that it's, you know, it's really important to have that soundboard back at home. I, I understand that trust doesn't really work if you go spilling trade secrets everywhere. Um, but can it's, it's a question we as writers get a lot. Is there any, you know, specific example that you can take from that time last year that uh, maybe you've learned from collectively or, or anything like that, that, that you've been able to move forward from that came out of those conversations? Um, I mean, so, I mean, uh, that's a good question. I try not to think about that time too much, to be honest with you. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, at, at some point, you know, during our conversation that you brought up, you know, a year ago where I was talking about Will, it's like, you know, at that point on the, in the time, it was just like, you know, all you can control is what you, is what, what you bring to the rink and how much, you know, how hard you work at your game and, you know, how dedicated you are to, you know, yourself getting better and the team winning. And so at, at that point, it's just like, okay, well, you know, we're, we're struggling right now, but, you know, I'm not going to be the reason we struggle. So you kind of just go out and continue to, to build your game. You continue to work hard in practice. You try and, you know, push and push and push so that, you know, when it comes game time, you're ready to go. You're contributing to, you know, the positive success of the team and you're contributing, um, you know, trying to grow your role. And I think at that time I was, you know, playing fourth line with Appleton and Lemieux and we were playing really well and the team was struggling. I'm just trying to like continue to push and push and push for us to play more and more and more. So we help the team win. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's all, at that point you can, it's all you can control. And, um, you know, for Mark, he had obviously a bit more of a leadership, leadership position. So, um, you know, he, he, you know, outside of just his individual play, you know, he's got to worry about a few more things in terms of making sure everyone's on the same page and all that. And at that point, I really, you know, I wasn't, I view myself as a leader, but at the same time, you know, when you're not, you know, in the top nine or you're not looked at as one of the guys, you know, you have to be a great follower as well. So you, you want to be, um, you know, listening to wheels and Shife and the coaches and make sure that, you know, you're doing all the right things um, to where you're not a, a distraction, you know, within the team or, you know, the reason that you're losing. So at that point, you just kind of got to buckle down and worry about what you're doing individually and make sure that, you know, it's, you kind of got to look in the mirror and make sure that you're doing all the right things. And then, you know, whenever you see a young guy, you know, just try to keep my line mates, especially those two, um, that I was playing with at the time just to make sure that, you know, we're doing the right things and we're contributing to positive team success. Just one last one for me, Andrew, relationship-wise. Uh, I mean, it's not often that a guy that you play minor hockey with, you get to become a teammate at the NHL level and share so many experiences. I mean, what was it like to be able to do that with Jacob Truba and, and then to, to see him de- depart on the business side? Yeah, um, yeah, that's, I mean, as, as much as I talk about how special my and Mark's relationship is, you can, you know, say the same, maybe maybe even more just based on the history that, that Jacob and I have. Yeah, that was a lot, that was a lot of, a lot of hockey together. I think we counted up probably over a thousand games together from this, from the time we were, you know, 10 or 11 
to the time that, you know, he ended up getting traded last year. So it was, it was tough. You know, you, you live with him. Um, you know, he's my roommate on the road for, you know, a period of time. Uh, you know, we spent a lot of summers together when we were younger, played together at USA, Michigan, CompuWare. And then, you know, to end up, you know, sharing, playing in the NHL for our first few years together was, uh, was pretty, was pretty special. So that's something that, you know, you can't really make up and you can't really write it out. It's just kind of, you know, one of those things that you're so lucky to have happen to you that, um, you know, you're just so fortunate to be able to experience that with each other. So, and, and, and watching them go was, <clears throat> was, you know, expected. Um, so you kind of had a little bit of time to, to prepare yourself, I guess, for it, but it doesn't make it any easier, especially when we play in the first game, it just kind of feels like, you know, I don't know. So we were playing him for the first time and, kind of used to seeing each other all September, October, you know, throughout the, throughout the year. So we've, you know, obviously stayed in touch and still really close friends, but uh, it was, you know, you never want to see someone that you're that close to leave, but one of those things that, you know, you know, it's a business and, you know, things like that are going to happen. Well, from game one through the rest of the season to now, uh, it seems like that, for the Winnipeg Jets was just one of a ton of roller coasters that you guys had to ride. So many injuries, absences, uh, I, you name it. it. It seemed like of any year of any team, and every team's always going to have its stories. I always thought that, you know, when the season got put on pause, that you guys probably had, I don't want to say the most to lose because that doesn't seem quite fair, but like, if you tell me that points percentage keeps the Jets out of the playoffs or something like that, I just I, I would have to say that I would feel for you because you guys have been through so much. Uh, I'm I'm wondering uh, whether this is looking ahead to the you know possibility of a restart or just how you felt at the pause. How how you put this season in perspective so far at today here and now? Yeah, it's a it's a weird perspective. I think. Um... You know, we, we really felt like we were playing our best hockey and we were getting as healthy as we could, especially with our additions at the deadline. Um, felt like we were starting to really find our stride. I think we'd won four in a row at the end. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and come down to what, I think we had 11 games left against um, all playoff teams, all teams that we're battling with. So it was going to be pretty much a playoff atmosphere right to the end. And, yeah, <sighs> I mean, we battled. I think that's probably the, the biggest takeaway is, you know, how we, how we were able to stay stay with it all year and not let, you know, injuries or absences, like you said, kind of take over or, you know, or goal or, our, I mean, our goaltending stood on his head all year. So, you know, we never got, got uh, discouraged by that. Um, you know, we were able to find, you know, key wins at key times and, um, able to kind of get on a roll at some points and then, yeah, so I, it's, it's a tough year to put in perspective. Um, it feels like there was a lot of moving parts and, you know, even individually for me, it's, it was a, it was a, a positive year for sure. What, how good, I don't really know because, you know, there were so many moving parts and it feels like, um, you know, went from, you know, second line center wing, center wing, you know, kind of bounced around. So, um, feel like I just try to make do the best I got or the best, you know, I could with, with, you know, with, within the situation and with what we were doing. And I feel like that was kind of the, the mantra of the team as well, just kind of give it, give it our best. And, um, you know, it ended up being pretty, pretty damn good t towards the end. So yeah, we were, we were, you know, hoping that we get an opportunity to, you know, continue on as a team, but, um, yeah, to this, it, it's a really hard year to characterize, but, it's, uh, at the end of the day, I feel like it's a, it's a positive one for us going forward, especially mentally and, um, you know, our improvements and how strong mentally we are as a team. Well, uh, Andrew, insightful as always, candid as always. And, and certainly, I mean, it was a running joke amongst all of us how many different line combinations or different sorts of things that, that you individually <laughs> and the, the team itself had to, had to put together. I just want to say, I mean, uh, a huge thank you for joining Ken and I today. Uh, it, it's always a pleasure to, to have you on or to to have you in conversation for stories and all that. So thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. Appreciate it.
Well, Ken, I mean, we talk about it all the time when players are willing to, to really be so open and insightful and uh, able to sort of summarize their thoughts as, as well as Andrew does or just did for us on the boarding pass. I mean, that's a pleasure and a privilege for us. Uh, just, uh, you know, what, a, what an open conversation we were able to have today. Yeah, just tremendous. Uh, I mean, we know it because we see it on a regular basis, but I mean, we're very fortunate to, to have people like Andrew uh, to deal with in that locker room on a regular basis. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who loves the game, loves hockey, passionate about it, loves talking about it, uh, can break down the most complex systems and things that you'd like to discuss, but uh, I really, I'm just impressed by his growth, uh, both as an individual, you see him growing in and maturing as a person uh, from the time speaking to him for the first time when he was drafted to now where he's become one of the real leaders on this Jets team. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it was a real treat to have him on today, that's for sure. Yeah, it's always fun. And, you know, I say this with, you know, less years on the beat, but it's it's fun to actually be able to see, you know, tangible areas of growth or just, you know, in terms of the, the comfort or, or development that, that these guys show him. Like, I think that you, you can begin to sort of almost feel it in an intangible way when when people feel like they're sort of stepping into themselves and finding their voice and all, and all that sort of stuff. And I think that that's, that's a very cool thing. One of the next opportunities that I guess, you know, to, to go back to the beginning of that development curve is the, is the draft. And, the, you know, the, the rumors these days seem to be that we might be heading for an early June draft. I have some pretty strong opinions. I, I really, to me, a, a June draft is just fine. But I want to know where you're at with this game right now, how you feel about that. I mean, I would say in a perfect world, uh, I think it would be probably like better to wait um, in a perfect world. I mean, Andrew touched on one of the elements. I mean, again, I'm not going to say it's a terrible idea or anything else. I don't have that strongly an opinion on it. And uh, ultimately, I do think it's going to happen early in early June. But uh, I mean, it just there are a lot of ping pong balls at play, uh, for lack of a better term, when it comes to lottery and things of that nature. I mean, it just you want the season to be concluded. I mean, that's not to say that it can't happen or it has disastrous consequences if it doesn't happen in that regard. But, I mean, it, it does... It's hard on all teams, and we understand these are extraordinary circumstances, but how a team approaches the draft and trading for picks... I mean, a team like the Jets... I mean, I'm going to write about this this week, but, I mean, there, there are impacts that stretch beyond just the simple... The Jets will choose 12th instead of having an opportunity to either be you know, 17 to 31 or or 16 to 31 or 1 to 15. I mean, it's not just as simple as that. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, when a team gets bounced in the first round like the Jets did last year, it's you handle things differently than if they had reached the conference final like they had the year before. So, I mean, I'm not... We know that it's difficult because the scouts have lost a lot of viewing windows, whether that's playoffs or under-18 tournaments and things of that nature. Uh, they'll get their work done. They have a good book on players. They'll use Zoom calls to get their last steps. And I mean, I totally understand that it can happen and it probably needs to happen because the league would like eyeballs on the draft the way the NFL had and they want to be relevant and all of those things you can make a good case for. But like I said, I'm totally okay with it. But I mean, in a perfect world, I think it would be, you know, more prudent to hold it after the season uh, based on some of those other factors. Yeah, I think one of the advantages that the NHL has is to look at that NFL situation and kind of go, okay, well, what proportion of their normal viewership did they get? How was revenue affected? Um, you know, were there any technical issues that, that were involved? So there's, an, I think, a real opportunity for the NHL to sort of step into a best practices area, having studied everything that happened. For me, the, the flip side of, of waiting is then you've got scouts that presumably if, if hockey is going again and there is an end of a season and a next season that sort of have to do double duty and um, sort of be responsible for the draft board on the day but also be aware of all of the players for next year's classes uh, starting in you know September, October, November, etc. depending on things. My biggest perspective on this though is just that the whole thing is a game. The, the draft is something that has rules uh, you know, teams do the best that they can to get the most that they can out of it. It's what the NHL has agreed on and it's changed several times over the course of NHL history. I don't think that its exact format or lottery odds or anything to that effect is particularly sacred 
so much as it's just a situation where they, they there are an agreed upon set of rules. So for me, as long as there's enough of a lead time or a, or a leg time, and you know, here we are, we're, we're about a month out from June 5th when the rumors seem to suggest could be a viable date. Um, I think that that's enough time for those who have their draft boards set to sort of sort things out. Yes, it takes away trades. Yes, it takes away the blockbuster sort of situation. And I agree with you that teams react pretty strongly to whether they're a first round exit or go deep or what have you. My counter to that is they shouldn't because they have an 82 plus, you know, 100 sample size of games leading into that draft uh, if they've played the regular season and a little bit of playoffs as well. They've got their previous seasons. They have uh, their book on where they are in terms of their developmental window, all these other sorts of things. For me personally, I look at, you know, a a two-week, three-week, four-week tournament, whatever the playoffs become for them, as ripe for opportunities to completely misjudge players. And whether that's giving up on players too soon, um, valuing that player that goes on a shooting percentage bender a la John Drews or Fernando Pisani, I, I worry about that as a general practice, even as I acknowledge that a lot of the NHL sources that seem to, you know, I've spoken to Pierre Lebrun or Scott Burnside say that, you're absolutely right, Ken. That's how they think. Um, at the risk of becoming to this turning into a rant, I guess all I'm really saying is uh, I would love to have the opportunity to, to write about and dig into all of that sort of stuff uh, starting as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what we have started this week are, are the assessments uh, to this point. I mean, I got my forward grades up and you'll be following... Uh, with the red pen as well for the forward, or for the defenseman and the netminders. <laughs> yeah, buddy. So that's something for our readers to enjoy. But again, it was just a great, uh, great time spent here with Andrew Kopp today, and we appreciate him being on with us, and we appreciate uh, you as well, as always. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, and just to make sure that you are aware, we've introduced a comment section for each podcast episode. It's on the Athletic app. Make sure you say hello and let us know how we're doing. If you have any comments about any of the many insightful things that Andrew shared with us today as well, please don't forget to rate and subscribe to The Boarding Pass on Apple. If you click on the show's URL, which is theathletic.com slash theboardingpass, you'll get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. Thanks again for listening. For Ken Weave, I'm Murata Tesh. Have a great week.